0: Our scripture this morning can be found in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 8, beginning in the 42nd verse. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to read along with me. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Will you pray with me, please? God, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for those times when your word penetrates our hearts and transforms our lives. So God, we pray that your spirit would be at work in each of us, that we would hear these words as your word, personal to each one of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Well, I don't know what's wrong with you, but I know something is wrong with you. And I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm not saying that to be unkind or to kind of be in your face. I'm saying it because it's the truth. Every one of us is broken in some way. You may have a defect that is obvious and acceptable. In my case, I wear glasses. I have worn glasses since the third grade I cannot see (laughs) more than three feet in front of me without my glasses. Uh, But that's a defect that I'm not embarrassed by. Um, It's kind of just the way it is. Um, There's also some defects that we have that are not obvious but are also not embarrassing. For example, a lot of people have high blood pressure. We may not be embarrassed by it. We may not broadcast it, but if the subject comes up, we're, it's not something that we're uncomfortable talking about. However, there are some problems that we have that we don't particularly like to talk about. You may be reluctant to talk about your foot fungus, or you may have reproductive problems or struggles with mental illness. Talking about these kinds of problems tend to make people feel uncomfortable. Uh, But it's remarkable how Scripture just doesn't have taboo topics and just breaks all the rules and talks about all these kinds of things. For example, if you read the last chapter of Judges, you'll find that it is so violent, I have never heard anybody preach on that chapter of the Bible. If you think that your family is too dysfunctional to talk about, I would invite you to read about Jacob's family in Genesis. And if you think that the church is just such a mess and has never been as dysfunctional as it is right now, I would invite you to read first Corinthians chapter five and some of the incredibly messy, difficult problems that Paul was working through with that church. Scripture is remarkably honest and transparent. Jeremiah 6 gives words to why. One translator translates this as you can't heal a wound by saying it isn't there. And the message just has a great image for this truth. Jeremiah 6 in the message is my people are broken, shattered, and they put on band-aids saying it's not so bad. You'll be just fine, but things are not just fine. The story that we're focusing on this morning is the story of a woman who needed more than a Band-Aid. She was ill. She had been bleeding for 12 years. And this wasn't a socially acceptable kind of illness like diabetes. This was an embarrassing problem. And even today, persistent bleeding would be a significant problem. It's not likely that the woman would have talked about this. She would have been uncomfortable about it. It probably wouldn't be something that she would just talk to her neighbors about. Um, It's a problem that impacts something that's very precious to a woman, a woman's ability to bear a child. And a Band-Aid doesn't fix that. It would be something that you would quietly endure and hope that maybe one day it would go away and you would be like other women. In our culture, only those who are very close to a woman would likely know about this type of problems. Um, Others that are further out in the social circle might wonder why there have been no pregnancy announcements. Uh, but a woman would not likely share with very many people about a defect that she has with her reproductive organs. But that wouldn't have been true for the woman in our story this morning because in her culture, it was different because her culture would consider her defect to make her ceremonially unclean, which means two things, first, Unclean people can't worship. Now, she lived in Galilee, so it isn't likely that she would have been able to go to the temple in Jerusalem very often. So we're left wondering, was she allowed to worship in her local synagogue? We don't know the answer to that. But at the very least, we know that she was not pure. Did an unclean person like her belong in the house of God when the peop- with the people of God when they were gathering for worship? And her uncleanness, the second thing we know, is that her uncleanness was considered to be contagious. If you touch a person who is ceremonially unclean, you become unclean too. You may know that lepers were considered to be unclean. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 13, it instructs lepers to stay away from people and to shout unclean, unclean, if they were moving around anyone who might inadvertently touch them. So did this woman have to do something similar? I wondered, has she received a hug in the last 12 years? Has she year after year yearned to have someone reach out and touch her? comfort her, connect with her? We don't know the answers to those questions. But what Luke tells us is that no one could heal her. This this story is also found in Mark and in Mark's version, as well as in some translations of Luke's version, there's another little detail that we are told, which is that this illness has financially ruined her. Luke uh, verse 43 in the um, English Standard Version says that she has spent her living on physicians and she could not be healed by anyone. So this woman is physically weak. She is spiritually cut off. She might be relationally impoverished and she is financially ruined. In the story, she is a nameless nobody. But what she does have is shame. Not for something that she's done wrong, but for something that is wrong with her, with who she is. Shame is one of those words that we like know, but we, we don't know. It's the first time that we encounter shame in the Bible is all the way back to the very beginning of Genesis in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. The Bible shows us that in God's perfect creation, there is no shame. And so we know that shame isn't good. Shame didn't enter the world until sin entered the world. Adam and Eve reach out and they made a choice to rebel against God, to sin by eating the fruit that which God had forbidden. And sin leads to shame, but it also leads to guilt. And it's really easy to confuse shame with guilt. And they're absolutely not the same thing. They are very different. I want to invite you to listen to Brené Brown. You may know that Brené Brown is a social researcher, but if you're not familiar with her, I would invite you to watch one of her TED Talks because she is one of the most popular TED Talk speakers. And she explains the difference between guilt and shame. And I want to show you just a portion
1: of what she teaches on that subject. Shame is the gremlin who says, never good enough. And if you can talk it out of that one, who do you think you are? The thing to understand about shame is it's not guilt. Shame is a focus on self. Guilt is a focus on behavior. Shame is I am bad. Guilt is I did something bad. Shame is highly, highly correlated with addiction, depression, violence, aggression, bullying, suicide, eating disorders. And here's what you even need to know more. Guilt inversely correlated with those things. Shame for women is this web of unattainable, conflicting, competing expectations about who we're supposed to be. For men, shame is not a bunch of competing, conflicting expectations. Shame is one. Do not be perceived as what? week. Did you
0: catch the distinction? Shame is I am bad. Guilt is I did something bad. All of us at some point should experience guilt because all of us sin and we all do something bad at some point and guilt properly directed can lead to forgiveness and then to growth. I think it's safe to say also, though, that all of us at some point experience shame because shame is also a consequence of guilt. Maybe not your own sin. Maybe you feel shame because someone else sinned against you, hurt you deeply. Maybe you feel shame because the culture around you constantly makes you feel like you're not good enough and you never will be. When you do something wrong, when you are guilty, you can seek forgiveness. You can make amends. You can repair the brokenness. But when you believe that you are something wrong, something is wrong with you, when you feel shame, how do you deal with that? Well, this morning we're going to talk about shame and about the shame that this woman in Luke chapter 8 feels, about the shame that we live with, and then about what we can do about it. So, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open up to Luke chapter 8 and take a look with me at this story. It begins in verse 42, where Jesus is on his way and the crowds are almost crushing him. So, and then it says that, and there was a woman there. And so people were probably touching this woman, becoming unclean by her uncleanness. Now, what would happen? when the people in the crowd realized who it was that was around them, who it was that touched them. So why does this woman take this risk to go out into this crowd to touch Jesus' cloak? Well, I think it's obvious. It's because that she believed that he could heal her, that that Jesus might be the Messiah. You see, at that time, there was this legend that the Messiah, uh, about the Messiah coming that had its roots in the Old Testament prophet of Malachi back in Malachi, there was a prophecy that you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his rays. So some people believe that the Messiah, the son of righteousness would have healing in his rays, almost to the extent that it would be present in his clothing, that there would be healing power. Even if you touch the clothing of the Messiah also, If you flip back just a little bit to chapter six, word had reached this village, perhaps, that there was healing that was happening simply from touching Jesus's robe. Look back at chapter six, verse 19. It says, and all the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So after spending all her money on physicians and still bleeding, in desperation, she tries for a miracle from this itinerant healer through her little who's just happening to make his way through her little town. And she's just going to reach out. And she's just going to touch his cloak. Perhaps no one will see her. Perhaps no one will notice what she is doing. But of course, someone does notice. Um, And Jesus asks this question that causes her to tremble in fear. In verse 45, Jesus asks, who touched me? Someone noticed her. And it wasn't her neighbor. It wasn't someone who grew up with her. It wasn't the religious authority of the town. It was the healer. The healer knows that she touched him. If you know what it feels like to feel deep shame, to feel hopeless because you believe that you are worthless, surely this next part grabs your heart. In verse 47, we read, Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people she told why she had touched him. She was trembling. Her heart was pounding. Perhaps her voice was shaking. And she couldn't even stand. She fell at Jesus' feet because she has been seen. Luke's already told us that she's been healed. Look back at verse 44. It says, and immediately her bleeding stopped. But notice there, when her bleeding stopped, there was no rejoicing. And, And now her deep wound of shame has been exposed. Now everyone would have been staring at her. What was Jesus going to do about this unclean woman who reached out and stole some of her, his power? Would Jesus let her get away with that? I love what J.D. Greer says about this moment in the story He writes, what happens next might be the most profound moment in the Gospels because it answers one of the most fundamental questions of all religion. What is it like to be exposed in all our shame and ugliness and mess before a holy God? What is it like when you finally come to the realization that you can't fix what is wrong with you? that the experts can't fix what is wrong with you. And you dare to come out of hiding just a little bit to reach out and to move toward the Messiah. I think in this next moment, we get a glimpse of just how good Jesus is. Because this woman got what she wanted. Her bleeding stopped. But Jesus wanted more for her than that. Jesus wasn't satisfied with healing her physical ailment. Jesus went deeper. He wanted to heal her shame. Look what he says to her in verse 48. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Daughter. Daughter. You have been isolated for 12 years. Let let me remind you that you are not alone. You are the daughter of one who has such power that even touching the hem of his cloak can bring healing that is out of reach of the best experts. Daughter, your faith has saved you. You see yourself as powerless and hopeless. I see you as someone who has Faith, so faith that such great faith that your life has been changed. You are not powerless because you are close to the source of great power, and that has made all the difference. It's fascinating to me in this story that Luke uses three different Greek words for heal in this story. In verse forty-three, he says no one could heal her. And then in verse 47, he says she has been instantly healed. And then now at the end of the story in verse 48, he says your faith has healed you. The specific differences between these three words isn't entirely clear. But one thing that is clear is that very last instance when Jesus uses the Greek word sozo, That word is very different from the other two because that word is sometimes translated healed and sometimes translated saved. Daughter, your faith has healed you. It has healed you physically. You are no longer bleeding, but your faith has also saved you. It has saved you from the shame that has covered you for 12 long years. I see you and you are my daughter. So now go in peace. This story gets to me because it's such a tender story of vulnerability. I have never personally experienced the problem that this woman faced. I have never needed healing from a physical problem like that. But I have experienced the problem of shame. And that's a tender story for me too. I wanna tell you a part of that story as a way to offer encouragement to those of you who are dealing with shame right now. Because I know that Jesus heals us of our shame. And I know that because I read this story in scripture and see him heal the shame of this woman and because I have experienced that same healing myself. 2020 uh, was a hard year for, I think, everyone, including me. Um, As the year was winding down, I realized that I was not okay. I couldn't have told you that I was dealing with shame. In fact, if you would have asked me, is is shame the problem? I would have said, no, no, it's not shame. Um, But what I did know was that there was a problem. And I talked to a a trusted friend and mentor about it. And she said to me, I think you need to get all of the voices out of your head so that you can hear the voice of God. And as soon as she said that to me, I knew that she was right, that she was speaking truth to me. But I didn't know how to do that. And so I said to her, how? How can I get all those voices out of my head? And she said that she has made it a practice about once a year to take a spiritual retreat in which she experiences solitude and silence so that she can more clearly hear God's voice and get all those voices out of her head. When she said that, I really wasn't too sure about that. Uh, It was difficult on so many levels, including the very practical challenge that it was 2020. We were in the middle of COVID. The world was shut down at that point. Retreat centers weren't open to go and have an experience of solitude and silence. But my husband, Ken, found a place for me to go. It was a Catholic retreat center in rural Clearfield County. And I knew absolutely nothing about it. I was, I was nervous when I drove up the driveway because it was unfamiliar to me in every single way. And yet I spent five days there and God used those five days of solitude, five days of hours of walking, Uh, Five days of experiencing the beautiful hospitality of the people of that community to experience and to heal from my shame. There is a lot more to the story. I can't tell you the whole story It's part of this message, but let me summarize it with this. My shame was not related to guilt, and so I didn't know how to address it. It was not about what I had done wrong, Um, I I didn't believe that I was bad because I had done something bad and so I couldn't fix it by asking for forgiveness. My shame was a result of allowing other people to define me, allowing other people to make me feel unworthy. And I needed to get away from the judgments of other people so that I could once again embrace my true identity as a daughter of the Most High King. The moment that it became clear to me that the reason I was not okay was because I was living in shame was when I was walking the Stations of the Cross at Bethany. I had a powerful sense of the presence of God as I slowly took that journey and made my way up the hill through station after station, making my way to the large cross that looked over the retreat property at the top of the hill. Station number 10 was entitled Dignity. It was a station that broke through my shame, restored my dignity because I had never done Stations of the Cross before that, I used a a guide that I found (laughs) at the Retreat Center. It was a guide that was written by Father Bob Hess, um, and it included these words about Jesus's journey to the cross and station number 10. In what we think is the ultimate shame, his dignity is not compromised. True to himself, and secure in the Father, he becomes forever the model of purity, simplicity, and human beauty. Jesus teaches you that there is no shame in letting go of the power and wealth of our world. Help us to let go of our cares and worldly desires. Release me from the attachments that I may treasure the dignity that is mine as a beloved child of the Father. Release me from the attachments that I may treasure the dignity that is mine as a beloved child of the Father. Father Hess wrote words that my heart needed to say to God. I also wanna share with you a portion of my journal from that experience. Today has been a day focused on the cross. I feel like the cross is at the center of my retreat. The beginning was about coming to the cross, preparing myself to leave my sins at the cross, remembering once again that the cross was for me. I am so grateful that God led me here to a Catholic retreat center. Here I was able to go to the cross to experience the stations of the cross, a powerful tool that prepared me to want to go to the cross. I believe that the journey to the cross has reminded me of who I am. It has given me back my dignity, a dignity not based on success or hard work or being perfect, but a dignity based on my identity as a child of God. That shame that I have been living with can be left here at the cross. I don't know what shame you are living with, but I know that shame is hard to live with. Sometimes we need somebody else, like my wise mentor, to help us recognize that we don't need to live with shame. There are things we can do. Perhaps like me, you need some solitude and silence so that you can get away from all the voices that are in your head and hear the loving voice of God. I would love to go back to Bethany. If you would like to go there, I would love to take some people with me. When you enter the grounds, there is a sign there. It says, God is spoken of here. I found that to be true. And I found that to be incredibly healing. But I realize that retreats like I had are a rare gift. There were seasons in my life when doing that simply would not have been possible. So let me ask you, what is possible for you? Can you seek moments of solitude and silence by coming to early morning prayer and communion during Lent on Wednesdays? Can you step out of your hiding in shame by talking with a trusted brother or sister in Christ? The woman in our story today experienced healing, not just of her bleeding, but of her shame, because she risked entering the crowd and reaching out to Jesus. Brene Brown teaches that if you put shame in a Petri dish, it needs three things to grow exponentially, secrecy, silence, and judgment. And if you put the same amount of shame in a Petri dish and douse it with empathy, it can't survive. Many of us are suffering from shame in secrecy and silence. Are you living a lie that you find is just eating you up? Is there a part of you that feels like there's a skeleton in your closet that just won't let you move on with your life? When I say to you, you are a beloved child of God, a person of dignity, is there anything that makes you immediately want to shake your head in disagreement? What is the secret that you hope no one ever finds out? These are the sources of our shame. And we don't have to live in shame because there is empathy. If we'll just reach out to touch the hem of his robe. If you are concerned that no one else cares, hear this. Jesus cares. Jesus sees you. And when you come to Jesus, he doesn't just put a band-aid on you. He heals your deepest wounds. He says to you, daughter, son your faith has healed you your faith has saved you go in peace amen